0: Speaking of his illustrious sporting career, American basketball legend Michael Jordan admitted to failure in a very public way. In a television commercial for global sports manufacturer Nike, Jordan, who was one of the 20th century's greatest athletes, said in the advertisement, 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I've failed over and over again in my life and that's why I succeed. Now if sporting greats can admit to failing more times than they have actually succeeded and learning from the experience then why is it that when we talk about a failure to deliver in the context of a technology deployment everybody runs scared? Now I know what you're saying Michael Jordan was probably paid millions of dollars to admit that on television and that's probably true but seriously why is failure frowned upon so much? Is it a culture of fear across the tech sector? Is it because failure generally costs money, no matter how big or small the screw up, or is it because CIOs are embarrassed about their mistakes and missteps? Hello, I'm Byron Connolly, the Editor-in-Chief at CIO Australia, and I'd like to welcome you to CIO Confessions, a CIO show podcast where we're asking three highly experienced tech chiefs about their biggest mistakes, what they learned from the experience, and how they applied those learnings throughout their careers. We want to test the general theory that failure is okay in the context of different industries. My first guest is Nikki Doble, who is Group Chief Information Officer at Travel Insurance and Medical Assistance Provider Covermore Group. Nikki has also held senior roles at Suncorp, Lend Lease, Charter Hall and QBE. Nikki, welcome back to the CIO Show.
1: Hello, how are you?
0: Great to have you back, Nikki. Now, your role, as you have described it to me, um, is to, in your words, fix broken stuff uh, at organisations. And in this context, we're clearly talking about technology deployments that haven't worked for whatever reason. And and why do you think people are walking away from these messes?
1: Look, I think, you know, I get an advantage of um, being brought in after something's gone off the rails. Yes, so you get to do a little bit of forensics of of what it is because you've got to work out, um, you know, you've got to define what the problem is that you're solving. And the problem isn't um, that, you know, what they want or or what it is that the project's supposed to deliver or the function's supposed to deliver. It's more like why hasn't that occurred? And so often, you know, if I use the 80-20 rule, When you come in afterwards as as an outsider looking at what's happened because normally there's been an event or a customer's walked away or a board you know gotten cranky um you you get to have a look at this and and almost always there's a culture of of fear has existed prior that people have felt um for various different reasons that they can't call out that something's not achievable that a date's not achievable or that we're progressing the wrong way um that that almost always has existed, and and that's where you know people can't put their hand up to 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 divert a disaster, yeah, because they just haven't been given the space, and there's no trust in the team or or um, trust from the leaders that yep. um, you yep. can say that.
0: Now, why has that culture existed in enterprise tech for so long? <laughs>
1: I think we've had a very much a, um, a project delivered delivery mentality and and that's changing with product management but you know project mentality is very um speak to heavy delivery heavy you know you've got your cost got scope time so it's very easy to see if someone's failing and yep. I think what this creates is very much a output focused environment rather than an outcome focused environment so what's the business objective we're trying to achieve gets translated into a status report with a rag status and and depending on how your co accepts a red or an orange you know depends on 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 how that's going to be interpreted and whether you, you, you what environments you're going to create where if we're focusing on what's the outcome um you know, and how we might choose different paths to get there, and we're not so focused on the Gantt chart, but more on the outcome, then you're creating that space for people to choose different paths or try different things and experiment. And, and I think, I know Agile, you know, we, in Agile, we, we talk about it's safe to fail, but Agile is very disciplined and Agile is all about the culture. So you can still do Agile and still have a toxic culture. You know, you can have negative retrospectives when they yeah. should really be a positive of things. So I think that combined with, say, this move to product management that technology is doing yep. uh, will be really good because product management is all about experimenting. You know, it's part of the values and creativity is part of the values. So I think combining, say, agile with product management will kind of move tech away from this feature heavy, this feature frenzy that, that we tend to get into or this delivery that we get into with the project and program management mentality yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure now I, I understand that during your career um you did a launch that fell flat in a big way um you realized that there were, but you did realize that there were elements of that that were not entirely your fault you weren't completely to blame talk about what happened and, and what you learned from this experience yeah look
1: and, and as much as there wasn't elements for me to blame i i kind of created it but and and what had what had happened is that I'd I'd gone from private sector to public sector. This was uh, ages and ages ago, but I'd moved into the public sector, and, and I delivered this piece of work, and it was really good, and and you know everyone thought I was amazing, and you know you know flowers were or everything. What was, it, then, in what was it in particular? <laughs> it was it? was it was a piece of strategy, right? Like I'm making, I like was selling it. Like I just did a good piece of work, and everyone, went, oh, that's really good. And so I was really happy with that. So, and, and I'd been asked then to go into a different department and do a restructure and, and kind of, kind of fix, fix this area and rebrand it and, and work out a maturity model for them. And, and I, because I think I was so happy with the work I'd done before, I then created this fear of failure because my ex-sponsor at the time was a really lovely man. Like he wasn't going, you can't mess this up i had put that expectation on myself so um you know i'd gone in and, and i was again very um output focused on i needed this and i needed to do that and and i forgot a large component of bringing the team along with me and although i was engaging with the leaders in that area i wasn't engaging with the team members and that you know that was a, it was a really big um change, uh, learning for me around yeah. change management and uh, basically what it resulted in, is uh, I'd, I'd organised this afternoon tea and this launch of this new brand and this new structure and all these things and invited all these people along and, and it resulted in 30 minutes of me being... Publicly torn apart by this team going, we don't agree to this. (laughs) We don't like it. We weren't engaged. And then even, you know, the exec sponsor kind of, because it was pretty obvious everyone was really (laughs) not happy. Um, you know, and, and they even said to this leader who, who I had been engaging with, you know, were you engaged? And they said, Oh no, we weren't engaged. So I thought that's just like a, that's just a lie because I know I'd done that, but, but, you know, if I hadn't been so focused on um, getting the shiny thing out the door
2: yeah.
1: and I'd be, I would have noticed that I'd had a passive stakeholder that yeah. wasn't really, you know, that wasn't really on my side. So, again, that comes down to that outcome output kind of argument that, that comes back to. I and mean, my lesson, it was absolutely, you know, in a safe, a safe to fail environment, you want teachable, coachable moments. <laughs> it certainly was that. And I think the pendulum swung the other way. For a few years after that, I was incredibly collaborative, and I'd talk to everybody. and I'm sure they just probably thought, "I oh, wish you'd stop talking and yeah. and uh, <laughs> start doing." But I think that even now, like now, if someone says to me, "You know what? What? What, what are one of your strengths?" I'd actually say, "I'm really very collaborative," yeah. and that came from that time where it was just such a horrible, a horrible afternoon. So, if anything, you um,
0: overcorrected, probably. You, you
1: started I over-corrected. engaging more
0: more than you. Um
1: than probably, you normally, yeah. Sh- than you I probably think
0: should have because of it. I, it was a good lesson.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you know the pendulum's evened itself out now, but it, it was a very good lesson on change management and collaboration and, and making sure your stakeholders are involved. It was just you know basic stuff that you're told, but again, you get very focused on that outcome, especially you know I like work, working fast, so yeah. you know it suited me not to have to talk to everybody. But you so know, what, what was it,
0: the upshot? <laughs> the strategy didn't go ahead that you had proposed.
1: No, yeah, we went back basically back to back to the beginning, and I had to do the whole thing again, you know, and engage everybody again, and and it was, you know, it was different because then you've got like this difficult relationship, so it's eating a lot of humble pie and and saying you've done it wrong, and and um to get it back up again. So yeah, uh, if I take it, it, probably landed at the same time as it would have if I'd just done it right the first time.
0: Yeah. Now, it, it is clear that there is this, in some organisations, as, as you, you've been saying, there is a culture of fear. Um, and, and I'm not surprised by that. I don't think anybody is surprised by that. Um, but one of the factors you think is, 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 is failure, I mean, failure generally costs money, no, no matter how big or small the, the, the issue. But um, I, I guess there's a sense of embarrassment there too, when among CIOs, when they do something wrong, they just want to walk away and, and move on to the next thing. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, and I think you kind of, um, especially, especially at the exec level, because you see it, you see it in other business you know, there's a bit of a cover up that happens. Oh yeah, we meant it to go that way. So, so I think that's corporate culture. Um, as a leader, I think you've got to, um, allow it in your, your teams. Um, and then you can own it when you're, when you when you you're speaking you know to your colleagues and and things as well so um failure doesn't always cost money like you know failure is not the opposite to success failure is you know one of the ways to get there and that's that that, uh, one of my team members says it all the time and everyone kind of rolls their eyes when she says it but it's true she's you know um uh, fail earlier fail fast so you succeed quicker Yep, she just says everyone kind of talks about the failing early, but they never say that it's to succeed quicker. And, and I think if you if you normalise failing or, or a sprint going wrong or and those sorts of things, so those everyday failures that you get, if they're normalised and, and everybody understands that you're all in the boat together, it doesn't matter which end the hole's in, yep. you're in it together together. Um, you know that becomes easier. People become, you know, they're allowed to be vulnerable. They're allowed to trust their colleagues. They're allowed to put up their hand and say, "I don't know it," or yeah. actually, let's not cover that one up because that wasn't going to bite us in the bum, you know, six months down the line when the, when when the platform falls over. So, um, you know, you can still create creativity. You can still have those environments, even, you know, infrastructure is a good one where you can't be safe to tell because platforms go out if someone does something wrong, yeah, or cybersecurity is a really good one. Well, I forgot to do my patching (laughs) because no one's going to be really tolerant of that. But um, you can still have an environment, a work environment where people feel that they can share um, different ways of doing things or or when they don't know something. And I think at that exact level, you've just, you know, I think you get pretty brave when, you, when you're working at an ELT level because you get used to different hits along your career and, and you do that. I think you might just, I think, yeah, you just need to get used to taking a hit every now and again for failing because you need to, to normalise it at that level as well and say that, that that this is part of, it's kind of part of technology as far as I see it if we want to be innovative. Yeah. Um, but it's learning to own it at that senior level. Yeah, do you think and that uh, this...
0: Do you think that this culture has, has 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 played a big role, I guess, in some of the monumental uh, technology project like failures, I guess, that we've seen over the years?
1: I think it. it I think it it, it. it plays a part not only in technology failures but in corporate failures. You know, yeah. when we look at some of, you know, there's some pretty some pretty big scandals in in as you know, say the insurance certainly in, in financial services in the last 12 months and because that safe that that fear of failure culture means people don't speak up about bad behaviors either you know so it's this thing this this little like ball of negativity that can really snowball and, and impact not only your technology culture and, and the success of your projects but but ultimately the you know the, the culture within technology and, and the company um you have to create spaces where people you know are, are able to talk about when they've failed and that's okay because you're not going to get a performance management discussion about yeah. uh, out of it you know i, I mean unless they kind got a, been a bit of a goose and done something entirely you know that yeah. that doesn't align with the values i mean that that's not acceptable but you know if, if again if they're outcome focused yeah. um then, then that makes a difference and that, that's the value that you're trying to drive.
0: Yeah. I mean, everyone likes to succeed, don't they? You see it on LinkedIn every day, people patting each other on the back <laughs> these
1: days. Yeah. <laughs> LinkedIn's yeah.
0: become a bit of a, you know, <laughs> a place where people are, uh, are, are really doing a lot of um, back slapping and, and all that type of stuff. It's becoming more and more like that. And that's human nature.
1: Yeah, and look at I kind of see LinkedIn as the Instagram of the professional world. You know, you only believe, to <laughs> you it. only believe like 25% of what you're actually, Same. actually reading. But no. I think that I, 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 I can't remember what company does it actually, but I know that, you know, how you have like your hackathons and, um, uh, different things and, and that, that, that's a good way to create a, um, no, a, a safe to fail culture because not all sure. of those work of course but but there's one uh, uh, uh yeah i'm not sure what tech company but they have you know f up fridays and they have this session where you get to come and confess what you've done a bit like all what right. we've done now yeah right. to kind of talk about god i really stuffed this up and and that's why i like when you said i'll oh, come and talk to us about when you you have stuffed up because i think We do, we spend all this time talking about all these amazing things that we've done, but to do those amazing things, you've, you've, you've stuffed up along the way, because that's how you've gotten to be amazing at what you've done, because you've learnt to be collaborative, or you've learnt to do different things, or you've learnt to test differently. You know, if you don't normalise these things, people do think that the only way you do it is if you're perfect all the time and when you when you're trying to be perfect at the time it just puts an absolute target on your back to fail because you you're not going to you're not going to see everything you need to see because you're too focused on Absolutely. succeeding.
0: So, Nikki, tell me more about these F-Up Fridays. I mean, what
1: organisation is this? <laughs> I need to go and have a look at I know. <laughs> I'm going to, I'll come back to you and I'll let you know. I, I can't believe I just kind of thought, oh, I forgot about those. But well, it a good way it to
0: change was, culture. A day of the week where you're one one day out of five where you're allowed to stuff up.
1: Yeah. And I know I worked, actually, I had a, a, I worked with a customer service team one time and they had this giant ASPRO Um and each week someone was awarded the ASPRO for who had the worst customer experience, you know, and oh, who, yeah. had to, who had, much you know, I think those sorts of things maybe we lose as we, we, yeah, we get into that Instagram, LinkedIn mentality that we've created on social media and we, we move away from these small wings of, 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 you know, going, gosh, we've had a tough week this week because that didn't work. Yeah. And, and, and just rewarding that and uh, accepting Yep. That that happens. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think the normalisation, because it's just, yeah, it's hypocritical for people to, to, to say, oh, we've got a safe to fail environment. And then you don't reward failure when it happens or acknowledge failure when it happens.
0: Yeah, for sure. Hey, listen, Nikki, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much for spending the time with us today. Uh, it's been very insightful. And, and thank you for confessing more to the point.
1: if we had a longer show i could have given you more but you know we'll stick with one
0: (laughs) yeah fair enough maybe next time maybe next time time, Uh, hope to see you again soon thanks for that
1: thanks no worries thanks byron
0: we enable any organization to use any technology we help all companies become technology companies protecting the identity of both workforces and customers Connecting the right people to the right technology at the right time. Opta, one trusted platform to secure every identity in your organisation. Okay, my next guest today is technology veteran Peter Nevin. Uh, Peter, welcome to the CIO Show. Well, thank you, Byron. Good to be here. And It's great to have you here, mate. Now, Peter, you've had a long career in IT, and that started in the mid-1980s. Um, You've been the global CIO at engineering firm, Sinclair Knight MERS, and you did that for more than 10 years. You've been in healthcare at Fiona Stanley Hospital and uh, at IVF service provider, Janaya, to name a few. And clearly you've had a lot of success in your career and you've had a, a fairly long career up until now. But I understand that you have a story or two around how you managed to snatch defeat from the jaws of success, as you put it. Tell us about what happened and, and how you applied those learnings um, uh, across throughout the, the rest of your career.
3: Sure, happy to. Um, yeah, as you say, over, over that time frame, there's, there's been successes and one or two that haven't gone too well. Sure. Probably one I could talk about that I learned the most from was when I was working for Sinclair Night MERS. Um, So just to set the picture, um, the organization at the time was about 5,000 people. We had 65 offices around the world. Technology was such there really wasn't any cloud technology. So um, the way people worked were on PCs. They're engineers working um, fairly sophisticated programs on PCs. And they're using local file servers as their storage locations. Yeah, and you can probably imagine um, the poor CIO in those days trying to make sure every one of those was backed up, had a good, good methodology to ensure that it was secure and available at all times. That sure. was pretty crazy. And also, any sort of file sharing or information or knowledge sharing between the various offices yeah. uh, was really quite hard in those days. The um, the networks were not absolutely fabulous, and um, Individuals also chose not to share their their data too much because that was their income stream. Yeah. So over time, um, it was it was quite obvious that this was a an issue for the organisation. And over time, I worked with the organisation and developed the concept of a file sharing system using a um, content management system uh, yep. called OpenText. Yep. And we implemented that globally, um, and it was. Uh, technology-wise, it was quite a success. So um, it allowed individuals anywhere in the world to access all of the organization's information globally, yeah. and it did so on a on a distributed indexing system. So the technology underneath it was just very, very exciting technology, if you're into that sort of thing. Um, what, what happened, however, over time, because... The user interface and the way it, the change management occurred throughout the organization, um, it took off reasonably well, um, stagnated after a year or two, and three or four years down, basically eventually shut down as a, as a product used throughout the organization. Sure. Um, fortunately for me, it wasn't a quick Explosion. It was a slow, slow burn, so um, it didn't significantly affect my career. But it wasn't one of those things that you put up there as, "Hey, that's a masterpiece."
2: Yeah.
3: Um, but what I I learned from that really was I hadn't established or in the organisation the burning platform for the actual change, so the actual need for the product. Whilst I could identify it and see it, mm. um, and indeed it's something good, CIOs. See business opportunities right throughout their organisation frequently before the business does. I could see it, and maybe 10 20 percent of the organisation could see it at least at the but initial was, stages.
0: At sorry, least, at least initially in the initial stages, it would have like a good idea yep. from the yep. outset.
3: Yep, and this was this was prior to getting approval and funding and all of those sorts of things. Yep. Um, so that was that was going reasonably well, but it wasn't the. I can't do my job if I don't have this product in place. So the thing I hadn't established or that wasn't established in the organization was that burning platform. Yeah. And then closely linked to that was the support of the CEO. So the CEO agreed to moving forward with the product and we went through board approvals and all of those sorts of things. However, it wasn't something that he was really pushing hard behind it and, and, as the product started to slow down a little bit, he actually became anti the product. So two things I learned was you absolutely need to establish in in real burning terms that I absolutely want this in the organization. And number two is if the CEO or whoever, the power holding group in the organization doesn't absolutely see it as part of their career going forward, also a bad outcome. Yeah. and, and look, it's a, it's a real advantage-disadvantage of the CIO. A good CIO knows the business,
2: yeah. knows
3: how systems work, and they yeah. tend to be able to tell elements of the business quickly, hey, these are things that, that are good good things you could do. And, yeah. and a really great example of that is right at the moment where you've just seen organizations that have suddenly discovered they can sell their products online. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that opportunity existed well before the pandemic. Of course, and they they could have um, clearly moved their organisation forward, but didn't. I suspect CIOs in those cases would have clearly identified that and moved them forward, but being small organisations, clearly they didn't have access to those people. Yeah.
0: Interesting. I mean, so what would you? I mean, what would you have done differently? Would you have communicated? To the to the organisation, uh, a little bit more around sort of the benefits of this platform. I mean, in hindsight, did you not? Did did you do you feel you didn't necessarily get the buy in from the whole business that was needed?
3: It's exactly that, Aaron. It, it was the buy in component. Yep. To be honest, we did the change management absolute textbook. Um, we even got on it. Airplanes went around the world. Did the whole here's the show. Here's how it works. Yeah. Um, the change management was totally textbook, yeah. but we were, we were showing a product to engineers who are a little bit hard, hard-nosed, um, and again, it wasn't something that, hey, I just want to get on with my job. I don't see how this does a significant advantage to me. Yeah. Now, I think if the organization had of adopted it, run hard with it, three or four years later, it would have been a very significant commercial advantage to the organization. Yes. Um, but that's why it required the combination of the individuals or all of the organization seeing that as a hey, I, I want this, plus you needed the, the leadership of the organization pushing hard. Yeah. So, some of the lessons or some of the techniques I've used subsequent, subsequently is if I'm going forward with a substantial project, the CEO gets behind it and, and we have a heart to heart in terms of hey, if this goes wrong, you and I go down, not
0: just. Me. <laughs> not just me. Yeah, I'm not the only one that loses my job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly,
3: and right. and you attend project
0: meetings. You give your direct
3: reports KPIs that I relate to this particular project. And again, if the project goes down, it affects the senior management in the organisation. That's right, and and that promulgates throughout the organisation. And That's I've right. done that in a, a two or three organisations where I've had the CEO totally on board, and the whole environment changes completely. Yeah. Um, instead of getting the, I'm reluctant to go along to meetings, I'm reluctant to go along to training, suddenly people are there, they're accepting of the product, um, they, they can still be very critical of it, yeah. but they're accepting, they push hard towards the product. Yeah. So yeah, basically those two learnings.
0: Are there are there any other stories that come to mind, apart from the one that you've just told?
1: Uh,
3: Look, there, there are lots of little ones. Um, what I was going to do was also talk about the difference in in size of projects. Sure. So there have certainly been uh, projects where I've developed smaller systems um, uh, and they have failed. Yeah. Um, but they've been more on the technical side rather than the direct uh, business yeah, facing sure. component of things.
0: Sure.
3: Um, and look, I think in terms of IT, I don't know that many projects actually fail. But maybe let's talk about that in a minute.
0: For sure. I mean, when you 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 mentioned there that there are, I guess, smaller things that that haven't worked out quite, you know, as you expected them. How did you feel after that? Did you feel shame? Did you feel embarrassed? Have you? I mean, did you feel as though? You know, you weren't going to, to to be able to pick yourself up again. I mean, the, the tech sector talks a lot about failing fast. We talk about enterprise IT, so there's a, there's a general feeling now, I guess, in this culture of innovation, um, that failure is okay and that tech teams can learn from it and move on. But is this is this actually true? I mean, do organisations accept that CIOs and other technology people and their teams are going to get things wrong? And I they guess might. do yeah, do CIOs feel that because they haven't done something? know something hasn't quite worked out the way it should um that they that they can't pick themselves up and they have to move on to another organization what's what's your feeling there
3: um well let me answer the first part of that in terms of the way this affects affected me personally um quite quite devastating um Mm. i think any good cio looks at how you're spending the organization's money um and there's constant budget, budget pressure the whole time. So That's any fine. sort of discretionary spend or any project-based spend is hard enough to get. Um, and if you've wasted that money, what's the effect on the organisation as a whole? And and to be quite honest, quite devastating. Um, yeah. Yeah, so felt absolutely gutted in terms of, of the end results. And that even goes down to the smallest projects. If a project completely goes belly up, as in... I can't use it. I need to throw it away. I need to throw all that money away.
2: Yeah.
3: Um, it, it can be quite devastating. Yeah. There is a however around that. Um, I guess the other learning I've had, and I've used this in another organisation I won't mention, which is going into the project, putting in checkpoints, and again, getting the the business sponsors or the owners of the projects to understand that we might need to pull a, pull a pin on this thing at any stage. And here are some partially good outcomes if we pull the pin. Yeah. So one example I got was we were developing a, a large system which probably it was a custom built system probably of the order of 10 million to develop. Yeah. We would engaged an organisation and we did a staged based uh, project with them yeah. and the solution was that they, they produced um, basically a use case uh, specification for the system which was a very complex process and we i we had the ability in that that if if it looked like they couldn't produce the downstream project that the ownership of those use cases reverted directly back to the, our own organization and that was the case yeah. so we pulled the pin on the project but we kept the specification and we were able to then subsequently use that in a, a smaller systems development we're able to save
0: it yeah, if, at least some of it uh, yeah
3: and look the other point i'll make in terms of Rather than me personally, but in terms of the IT team, it's hard enough to keep an IT team motivated. Um, sometimes in what can be um, hostile environments um, in a business environment, and then if a, a project failure sits in on top of that, um, it affects the motivation right across the team. And if you're a, um, a fan of SpaceX, but watching their prototypes explode. The way that affects the overall team over time um, is devastating. Well, it
0: would be, wouldn't so, it? So, a lot of money, yeah. and a lot of effort gone into that.
3: Yep, I just did all that welding. I've been, you know, working, working nights, working days, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and I've just watched it all go up in flames. And the things well, exploded, the same yeah. is true in IT, though, yeah. as you know. Any project close to delivery uh, uses massive amounts of personal energy, um, yep. and then watching all of that disappear in flames is not a good outcome.
0: And at the, at the real extreme end of that spectrum, if you look at um, NASA and, and what they've done over the years, uh, over the past 50 years, uh, and the, the incidents they had with Challenger, for instance, where people actually lost their lives... Um, yeah. When that exploded, so that that's the the extreme end of the the spectrum with when it comes to technology, technological innovation, and 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 the failures that do happen. I mean, we be, before we stuck uh, some people on the moon, there are there are a lot of things that that occurred before that, a lot of failures that occurred before that, and people lost their lives. So that's that's the extreme end. Um, but you know, when we're talking. It, about technology businesses, um, they have to be more accepting that, that things will go wrong and, and you will lose money, um, but you have to learn from that.
3: Mm. Um, yeah, let, let me just take, take you up on a, a what I think is an interesting point there is putting someone on the moon had the burning platform. It had absolutely a goal. We're going to hit it by the end of the end of the um, decade. That's right. And and they lost people during that process, but they, they kept going. That's um, right. They had
0: that explosion on the ground, didn't they? In the in the yeah. uh, in the test the test capsule.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that fire. And you compare yeah. that then to the uh, Challenger disasters and the space shuttle. There isn't there isn't a strong absolute. You know, this is a good thing. We should keep doing it, but it's not something we're absolutely driving towards. And if you look at the progress of NASA it slowed down enormously. It took five, ten years to recover from those events each time. Yeah. Again, because it didn't have this finite, absolute goal that we're driving towards, in my yeah. opinion.
0: Now, with that with, with that said, are there particular... We're talking about the space industry, but are there other industries, I guess, that are more accepting of, of technological mishaps than, than others? I mean, do you have any thoughts on that?
3: I, I personally have not found any. Um, okay. So so what I was going to do was differentiate between between projects and things that allow failures and those that don't. Mm. So a couple of simple examples. If you're putting an ERP in, it either works or it doesn't work. Um, yeah. And when it doesn't work, it potentially causes the company to go broke. In fact, I can think of a... An engineering company when I was working with SKM that did exactly that, they put a ERP in, it failed, they lost all of their accounts receivable for something like four to five months and a, that? A, a similar size company went broke yeah. over it. If you're putting an ERP in, it's got to work. Sure, it might work not great, but there is a yes, no work on the back of it. That's right. Similarly, if I'm doing a technology project, so say I'm upgrading a network. Um, and the availability of the systems are, are dependent on that network being available, and those systems cause the company to work. So I'm, I'm ComBank, and um, I'm upgrading some back-end technology, and if it goes down, the bank's going to be unavailable for three weeks. It's a, it's a no-brainer. It's got to work.
0: That's right.
3: Where, where the um, acceptance of failure... I don't know if it's failure, it's more prototyping is... When you've got an existing product, um, I'll go back to ComBank again. I've got a, a customer-facing um, uh, banking system, yes. and I'm making minor modifications to that. And I might put those out. They might be a failure in terms of customers don't like it, but it's so small within the overall product, I can back it out, and there's no major outcome associated with it. Yes. So that's and to me, that's a lot of where innovation lives is taking a, an existing system or an existing um, solution to a problem and adding smaller components to it. And I, I think I'm one of the Luddites that say, okay, minimum viable product sounds great yeah. unless you're putting something in place that significantly changes the organisation as a whole, That's in right. which case the minimum viable product is a working ERP, for example. Yeah. Now, once I've got that in, I might start adding chunks on the side of it like, automatically receiving invoices through some technology or something like that if that fails i can roll back it's not the end of the world associated that's right because
0: you've got a good base yeah exactly right yeah yeah Yeah. that's exactly right hey listen peter we might leave it there thank you very much for your your thoughts today it's been very interesting and and you clearly have a you've had a long career in it and you've you've learned some very valuable lessons by the sounds of it so thank you for spending time with us today on the co show not at all, Byron. Okay, my next guest is Vinny D'Alessandro and Vinny is the CTO at Change Financial Limited. Vinny, welcome to the CIO show.
4: Thanks very much. Great great to be here.
0: And great to have you, Vinny. Now, Vinny, you've got a lot of experience in senior technology roles. You've been the head of technology at Silver Chef and you've held senior roles at the likes of Tats Group uh, over the years, so you've got plenty of experience. Do you want to start off by telling telling us about some of your biggest mistakes or missteps that you've made throughout your career i mean what happened and what did you learn from these experiences
4: oh look uh, uh, i think um you know if we look back on my career i started on the health desk so I, I can definitely uh confirm there's been a lot of mistakes uh during the technical component of my year but i'm yep. oh, sorry of my career but i think you're looking more for for around that leadership and management area and what are those challenges that we've run into and mistakes that was made along the way yep. and i think the one that just keeps coming up and it's something that I'm very mindful of whenever I go into a large transformation project is is the underestimation of uh, inertia when it comes to people and technology and what I mean by that is people might complain about an old platform they might complain about a bit of software or technology that they use and they become quite emotive about it and so you think this is a fantastic trigger for change, to to bring in a new capability, new technology, a new way of working. But what you actually find is if you don't engage with the people in the right way and those key stakeholders, even though they don't like what they're currently using, they've been using it for a long time and they're quite sticky on it. And what what you find is you can give them a new solution that, that does everything that they're looking for but that doesn't mean that it's going to be a, sex, uh, a successful transition into that new platform. Yep. And so there's a lot of work that technology teams need to do with the business yep. to help with that transition.
0: So do you feel that the technology teams aren't generally doing the the, the amount of work that's required to, I guess... Make people feel comfortable about a new platform and change their ways of working because that's what you're talking about here, aren't you? You're talking about moving them to something that they've been used to for probably for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So there's not enough of that that change management. I mean, that's something that the industry that's a term the industry bandits around quite a lot. But yeah. what exactly is going wrong there? And 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 can you provide an example an example? Um, From your experiences of, you know, where that hasn't quite worked?
4: Yeah, look, absolutely. And I think the point around change management is is important because I think there's a misconception around uh, what change management is. I think traditionally in technology groups, they'll think about running a change advisory board or a CAV process, and you look at those small granular bits of change that, that need to happen through a business. But what they need to look at is that transformational change, which is how do you actually move the business processes as well as the technology? And that's the big gap that we, we've seen. So as an example, uh, we were rolling out a new customer support platform and you know, we, we had done a lot of work with, with our customer support teams. We had done all the requirements gathering. We had had them involved in the, the design phase, yeah. met all their requirements. But what happened when we started to roll it out was this heavy undercurrent of resistance,
2: yeah.
4: Uh, especially around the people that hadn't been directly involved in the project. And some of the assumptions we had made was you know, the, the customer service team and their leadership were actually helping to manage the change for their team. But yeah. so what they were doing is they were focusing on the future but not how to get to the future. And yeah. so there's, there's a great body of work that needs to happen between moving people from the work that they do today to what they're going to be doing tomorrow. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's very emotive for people. They're, as you said, they may have been doing this for five, ten years. Yeah. And then suddenly, first day of a, a, pro, a project rollout, their whole day changes. Yeah. And that, that that level of comfort is taken away. So what we've been doing differently with um, approaches, because we have to effectively restart that, that engagement process after we built the platform yeah. was to sit down and work with those teams and say, right, this is what you're doing today, this is what you're going to do tomorrow. What what needs to change from you know, daily activity? What needs to change from how you engage with your customers through these platforms? Yeah. And what we found, we're going through that process, we were able to refine and enhance our platform because we were far more engaged with more people, I, I think uh, a lot of IT projects engage with one or two key stakeholders that, that take the lead for uh, for their their whole group. Yeah. but I think there needs to be a wider um, uh, a wider partnership with the group to make sure you get a, a more diversity uh, in terms of the way people work.
0: Yeah, and I guess that's going to take a lot longer. That's potentially going to mean that, that these change management programs uh, are going to take, take even longer, I guess, to to, to to reach completion, aren't they? If there's more, I guess, interaction um, and, and you're getting more feedback from from your customer base. Um, I oh, mean, projects oh, already at, run I, quite long, don't they?
1: Look, at,
4: I think so, but um, it, the change process would be a lot shorter if you didn't have failed projects. And yeah. so, like I know from my history, it's a, it's a lot quicker to have that engagement built into the project yeah. than to have a project fall and then have to restart it. Yeah. Um, and, but just on that change management, it's the big thing that we try to to um, do in, in our larger projects is to get responsibility from the business yeah. because it's, these are often seen as a technology project and therefore a technology failure if something goes wrong. Yeah. And these the, there are very few technology projects that, that I've run that are done for the benefit of just technology they're actually done for the benefit of the business and That's so right. that accountability uh, and the success of that project should sit not only with technology but with the business as well because they're getting the ultimate outcome yeah. and so their involvement in its success is critical
0: yeah. Now, when things have gone wrong for you, how have you approached it? I mean, have you, I, I guess, admitted fault to you? I mean, what has been the response from, from the people that you worked with or the people that you've reported to in the past when, when things have gone wrong? How have you approached actually fixing problems?
4: Um, oh, look, I think the first thing um, when you run right across a problem or a failure is to be really clear uh and, and acknowledge the the failure. Um yeah. we we do that a lot in our businesses, especially around say outages. The the best thing you can do is communicate an, an outage clearly and early so yeah. that people are aware of the situation, what's going on. We we take that into our project as well. Yeah. Is to say if we run across a problem, um we get out in front of it. And so for those larger projects, um having things like steering committee board oversight is really important and on a regular basis. So one of the projects we're running with change right now, we have a fortnightly steering committee meeting and a monthly board update. But we don't just wait for those meetings. If we have an issue raised by a project manager or a key stakeholder, we can raise it to the steering committee at any any point in the week, um, convene a, a, a quick meeting to review it or get a quick decision via email if we need to so that we can resolve the issue and keep the project moving. Yeah. So that the, the frequency in which you engage with key stakeholders, project sponsors, steering committees is really critical yeah. to avoid it and to avoid problems or, or identify them early. Um, but then, uh, you know, there's on those larger values where you might have a project that didn't deliver what, what was required or, or some functional issues, you know, hiding away and... and, and and blaming people is, isn't actually um, adding any value. No,
0: it's, um, it's doing the opposite. But,
4: <laughs> um, but look at you know, I've worked with a few technology leaders in the past that were very keen to keep their head down and, and you know and sort of push blame away. But I, I just it's just not really valuable. I think if you can you know put your hand up and say we've missed the mark, yeah. um, but what are we going to do to fix it? And I, I think people. Um, want to see um, accountability? Yeah, but they also want to see improvement.
0: Yeah, I guess that people are that there there is a fear. People fear that they're going to lose their jobs when things goes wrong. Things things go wrong, and of course they do at times, particularly if it's hmm. a if it, if it's a big a big stuff up. But I mean, we've got this culture now across the tech sector. Um, that has been created, and and it's around innovating um, by failing fast. You keep hearing that all the time. You yeah. can fail quick and learn from your mistakes and move on. Um, is is that playing out in the real world? Um, do you feel that the tech sector and the wider business, for that matter, is is more forgiving of failure these days?
4: I, I think it depends on the business in question. So if you have a look at, say, a startup. Um, those smaller, light, more agile businesses. I think they are more accepting of failure because they've built their company structure um, differently. If you look at a traditional co- company um, that's that's been around for 10, 15 years, traditional business structure, they are less likely to accept failure in the same way. Yeah. And uh, I think a good litmus test for that is to see how they run innovation programs. Yeah. So um, if they run them, with a requirement that every uh, initiative needs to have a successful outcome, then I think you've got a good indication that they're not very accepting of failure. Yep. And I think that can actually restrict their, uh, their innovation uh, practice yep. because they're not willing to fail. And so then what happens is you've got people not pushing the boundaries, not trying to overachieve. They're just trying to do things that will be successful. And That's that right. tends to be very aligned to what they're currently doing now.
0: Even if it's not the right thing, I mean, you might you 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 get a situation where you just go on and on and on, and you just you're just picking the low hanging fruit and doing things that are easy. Whereas, you know, you people aren't necessarily, I guess, prepared to stretch themselves and and try things and and maybe not be so successful at them. And and I think that that's definitely the way most people think. I think it's human nature, um, but I think it's got to change.
4: Well, and, and and I think the way businesses are approaching it differently is some of them are accepting that they aren't the agents of change that they'd like to be. And so, especially in the financial services sector, where we've seen um, banks in particular, rather than trying to build those really innovative products, they they go and acquire them. They allow these fintech startups to create a new product, create a new capability, and then they get acquired by a big bank or or a financial institution. So I think that's an acknowledgement to say, well, you know, maybe we're a bit too big and slow to be doing these innovative ideas, let's watch the market and try and partner up or acquire those businesses that can give us that capability.
0: Yeah. All right, Vinnie, thank you very much. Some great insights there. We will leave it there. Um, appreciate you taking the time today. And and, and clearly you have learnt uh, a lot about, um, you know, success and failure in in, in, in business and you've used those, those learnings uh, and applied those in your current role. Um, so thank you very much for taking the time, Vinnie, and we'll talk to you again soon on the CEO Show. Thanks very much, Byron. Have a great day. You too, mate. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for joining the CIO Show. We hope you enjoyed it. Now, the media industry is barely recognisable from even 10 years ago, let alone at the start of the 21st century. The effects of digital disruption have been widespread and they've been brutal. Media companies still operating today do so largely because of their ability to harness new digital technologies to develop a deeper understanding of their readers and create better, more targeted products. In the next episode of The CIO Show, Associate Editor David Binning is back talking to CIOs working within the media industry about how digital technologies that once threatened their existence are now being applied to develop smarter, more sustainable businesses now and into the future. We hope you can join us then.